This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Hi, it's Vanessa from the Fighting Stigma Show on Free FM. Are you a Waikato local? Do you have an idea for a radio show? Do you want to try your hand at being a content creator on Free FM? If so, check out our website on freefm.org.nz or find Free FM on Facebook and get in touch. This is a podcast hosted by Wakato Environment Centre Go Eco. We are a voice for the Taio environment, a centre for ako, learning and a catalyst for change. Hipuna Kōrero shares the aspirations and mahi of our team and community as we work towards a vision of healthy environments and thriving communities. Wā whakamutanga! I shared how my love of birds is helping to build a stronger connection with the local environment. And exciting for me news, I recently signed up with Porongia Te Aroaro o Kahu Restoration Society as a volunteer, and yesterday ventured up Porongia to learn what to do to help monitor North Island kōkako nests. You can listen to our most recent episodes by searching for Hipuna Kōrero on your favourite podcast platform, or you can find a link in the podcast tab at the top of the Go Eco Wakato Facebook page. I tenera, local government make decisions on the protection and conservation of the environment every day, from investment in water infrastructure to keep nasties out of our freshwater, gully restoration, decision on cycleways, waste services, or how much the council prioritises climate action within its own day-to-day business. With local body elections being held this year, it's a great opportunity to share your concerns and ideas with elected members and the candidates vying for your vote. This is how we get issues on the table and how we make sure via the annual plan and the 10-year plan that those projects are funded. Today on the podcast, I've invited Paula Southgate, Mayor of Kirikiriroa Hamilton, to join us to talk about the environmental issues currently on the table with Tikonehiro or Kirikiriroa and what the current council have achieved in this triennium. Paula served as a councillor on the Wakato Regional Council from 2001 to 2016 when she was elected to Hamilton City Council as an East Ward councillor. She was elected our mayor in 2019. Kia ora Paula, namahi o te Thank you for making time to join us today. Kia ora koutou and um, good morning to everyone. Happy New Year to everyone in Hamilton and wider. Before we talk about the current triennium, can you explain what the role of the Waikato Regional Council is compared to that of the Hamilton City Council? I'm sure I'm not the only one who gets confused about where the lines are. Yes, look, that that confusion has existed for a very long time, to be honest. But I guess the simplest way to describe the Regional Council is they look after all the natural resources. So that's all your soil, water, air, biodiversity, those kind of things. That's their responsibility and they set the plans and the directions for the Waikato to preserve the natural resources. So that's why they're involved in things like farming, because it is a natural resource activity, all our coastal areas, all our rivers, all our lakes, and that kind of thing. But transport sits with them, which seems like a bit of an anomaly, but it's always just sat there with them, and I guess it relates to how transport moves across the land, so it has an interface with land. So pretty much anything to do with land management, water management, air management, that's their game. Is it safe to assume you work closely on uh, issues on the river or lake within city boundaries? Oh, absolutely, we have to. The regional council has to create a policy statement at the moment called the regional policy statement, and they create that big planning document. And by law, 
councils like Hamilton or, or even Waikato or Waipa have to give effect to the regional policy statement. So the regional policy statement has chapters on biodiversity, it has chapters on water, it has chapters on soil, it has chapters on urban development and how, because of course that does impact on all of those things and how urban development should be planned for. And councils like ours have to give effect to that, which is the highest legal requirement, actually, because sometimes you give regard to, consider, you know, take into effect, those kind of things. But, but this is give effect to. Have there been any times that you can think of off the top of your head where the Hamilton City Council hasn't done something to the expectations of the Regional Council? Oh, we're pretty good, actually. Because, you know, we haven't got the same pressing problems as, say, um, a coastal town with erosion and, you know, planning for weather events like high waves and tsunamis and things like that. But we we have. I mean, the recent example that I know you want to ask me about is, you know, the spill into the Waikato River. Now, we're not allowed to do that. That is a breach of um, rules. And um, so I expect that Regional Council will be taking a close interest in that um, accidental spill. Uh yeah, so th- those are the kind of things. And of course, more to the point is what we do long term. We're supposed to um, improve the net by the no net loss of biodiversity in our city and actually improve biodiversity in our city. And we are doing that. But the question is to what scale and pace do we do the work? Um, you know, so I, I guess to truly give effect to the regional council, we could do a lot more in some areas. Um, but in some areas, we're doing excellent work. And any idea why the Waikato Regional Council goes under the radar for more uh, for most people? Yeah, no, I don't know. It always has. I mean, when I was chair there, um, I think it's because we our, spread, our activities are spread across the whole of the Waikato. So for, for Hamilton, for example, we did a massive um, plan called the Topor Variation for Topor um, Freshwater, which stopped nitrogen going in, in the big lake and then coming down the river. People are quite disconnected from that, even though, of course, that's our drinking water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bigger scale of activity. It crosses that whole regional boundary. We're stopping farmers from putting effluent into streams. We're keeping soil in place so that we can grow good crops. We're um, planting dunes out at the beach, and those kind of things, to enable um, beaches to stay in place too and birds to breed. And There's a whole lot of things that don't seem to sit very neatly with um, Hamilton boundaries, but of course do benefit Hamiltonians. Mm. Of course they do. We'll have to think back a little bit. In the lead up to the 2019 election, uh, Mm. the council was under pressure to declare a climate emergency. Instead, the council voted to develop a climate action plan under urgency. How is that progressing and do you think it offers the people who packed that gallery what they expected? Well, we'll find out in May and June, won't we? So we've got our climate uh, change strategy coming to council on May the twi- uh, May this year and the climate change policy coming in June. They're just very slightly different. The strategy, of course, looks at the definitive actions we're going to take and we can talk about some of those. And the policy makes it a requirement to consider and embed climate action in all of our decision-making. Um, so as we're building new areas of the city, Uh, as we're redeveloping property down by the river or whatever it might be, we will have to um, stop and think about how we can improve our response to climate change with those activities. 
Uh, so I think that's quite exciting. Um, it means that some of our new um, subdivisions, we and I know Sarah is particularly keen on this, um, and as am I, we can start talking with developers about incentives to do grey water cycling and uh, rain uh, uh, rainwater tanks and things like that for dry periods. Um, more environmentally friendly uh, stormwater solutions instead of having your concrete culvert pour, uh, collecting all that stormwater and of course eventually putting it in the river, um, which won't be a we won't be able to do. How can we create natural lakes and swales and streams and things and other ways of um, filtering out stormwater? So, you know, it is, it is a pretty exciting arena. So, what are some of the strategies um, within the scope of that um, your climate action strategy? A number of things. Now, starting with transport, because that is 64% of the emissions, uh, you know, that's your petrol and diesel predominantly, and then other forms of transport. So we're doing a number of really good things. Uh, we are pushing forward with our cycling opportunities uh, wherever we can, and I, I'm sure people can see that we're being reasonably tenacious about looking for those opportunities to promote cycling. Um lot more to do there we know that we're retrofitting an old city mm. and I think that's the key point transition will take time we're a very reliant on a car city um, so where we're going and um, this is a piece of work that Chair Angela O'Leary has in, um, instigated or reignited if you like is Access Hamilton which is our transport planning so we're looking at not only the transition from uh, you know traditional transport based on fossil fuels to more environmentally friendly um, transport. We, we, uh, we recognise the car will still be around for a while, so we're doing how can we um, minimise unnecessary journeys, for example. That's just as important as how you get around, but how can we stop people jumping in uh, their vehicles just to go a short distance? And that's got something to do with good urban design. How do we create a, a community where you can have your needs met locally? You know, you can go to... Um, a shop to get all your basic essentials. You can go and see a doctor or a dentist. You can get to a local recreation area, a swimming pool, a playground or, or, or such without relying on your car. Um, putting cycleways into new areas like Peacocks uh, according to the highest standard as opposed to trying to clip on a cycle lane or, um, you know, as you know, um, use the hit sticks and what have you, have you to put them on existing roads which is which is necessary and it's part of the work but it's not as good as factoring in really good wide safe well-lit cycleways that um, keep the um, cyclists safe away from cars and putting those in at the beginning of a subdivision so that that's actually the new normal so things like that I know that was a circuitous route around transport but um, you know at the end of the day we do have to recognise that there will be some reliance on cars until there are legitimate mode choices to go to, and um, choice and safety is. When we've talked to people, and said, "Well, you know, would you would you walk? Would you cycle? Would you do something else?" Um, and they said, "Well, they would if it was safe, and and also that they had choices about how they get to places." So yeah, that's one of the areas we're working on. Given that um, 64 percent of emissions are coming from transport. We're looking in our own fleet um, to increase the number of e-bikes for staff to use, um, planning out uh, journeys to work for our staff, uh, ride sharing, um, going away from our own fleets 
to, uh, you know, relying on uh, car share fleets like Mevo, so we'll have more of that going on. We will need a fleet, but we can reduce our fleet. Moving into EVs, we've got um, even EV um, parks and gardens, uh, trucks, you know, now running on EV and so on. So so those are the kinds of shifts within transport. Mm. So... I mean, you've mentioned transport because that is such a large part of where our emissions sit for Hamilton City Council. Are there other areas that you are aware of big changes happening? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the other one would be um, what we can achieve through lining up our climate change strategy with the nature in the city strategy and what we need to do around um, biodiversity and greening up the city. Um, uh, People may be aware that in our nature in the city strategy, we are hoping to move from 2% 2% significant native e- ecology in the city to 10%. Now, um, that's not a figure we've dreamed up. That's a figure that uh, an internationally renowned ecologist, Bruce Clarkson, and, and those who work around him have determined is sustainable for Hamilton uh, and would provide the best benefits for biodiversity. That's for all our birds and insects and fish and all that kind of thing, but for humans as well, because, you know, we're getting hotter, hottest summer last year, wasn't it? Um, it's not. It's not going to be much cooler this summer either. No. You know, so we have to build for shade. We have to build um, trees that help with um, carbon, uh, and so we've got a really good focus on our gullies through nature in the city. But not only that. Going back to those new areas, Kelly, you know, Peacock, for example. Um, now that you, the bridge is really taking shape over the river and we'll get people living out there. We've, we've done a lot of uh, planning around how to create ecological corridors, how to preserve the river esplanade um, so that it's a healthy river esplanade, lots of native trees and plants and things. Um, we've even uh, um, worked with iwi to return a number of uh, par sites that will be restored into um, natural areas uh, and remembered for and you know, have a signage and interpretation and tell the history. We've got 17,000 plants going in one gully out in the Peacock area alone. Uh, we have created a wide corridor for, um, you know, after a lot of conversation around between different parties, a good outcome for the peca-peca, the short-tailed bat, um, uh, so you know, but that that makes it a really nice place for people to live. It will be a a leafy a leafy green tree based suburb, not just you know, how rows and rows of houses mm. without any without any shade, without any nature around them. So that's one area that we're doing. Um, I have to say that I guess we are uh, also looking at the rats and mice stuff within our own buildings. We've actually managed to sell, save in the last year four point five percent on our energy bill just through um, street lighting going over to LEDs, and that's, a, and that's something that we're continuing to do. Um, obviously, and you may ask about the um, rubbish and recycling, we have minimised our waste landfill by a considerable amount, um, e- even though it's, it's uh, dropped up back a little bit over the COVID lockdown in the summer and mm-hmm. so on. We're still sending a significant amount of food waste to the Hampton Downs. It turns into compost, comes back to us or is, and, and or is sold. And um, we put it on our uh, community gardens and on our Hamilton gardens. Um, so that, that's an excellent example of something that's really, really good for the environment. 
But the, the, um, the council did report this week that 53% of Hamiltonians aren't using the food scrap bins. Have you had any yeah. thoughts on or insights into why that may be the case? Well, I, I knew that it wasn't used to its full potential before. So I thought I read the story and I was a bit confused. So I went down to back to staff and um, originally, before COVID interfered with the way people do things and summer came on, we were averaging about 55% of people using those bins. And even at that level, I was asking staff what we could do to incentivize or educate or help people with um, getting more people to use those bins. Um, obviously, we dropped about 8% um, during the COVID lockdown. Just, just this last year has gone backwards about 7 or 8%. But we were never at high numbers in the first place. We, uh, oh, having said that, you know, um, 500 and, uh, odd tonnes per mm. month removed from landfill is not insignificant. No, it's definitely not um, insignificant. I guess it's just no. um, it's, we, it's we, curious, yeah. Absolutely, and we can't have that food going back into wasteville, wait, into landfill. It needs to go into compost. That's a sustainable solution. Um, and we need to work with the community about what they can do to make, you know, to, to use the food bins um, correctly, um, to figure out what the. And I'd love to hear, by the way, so many mm-hmm. listeners have got some views. Please send them in to me and, um, you know, get up, jump on my Facebook page and give me a shout out because um, I'd love to know why you're not using the food bin if you're not using it. And I suspect there'll be some comments about flies and maggots and, you know, it's just yucky and so on. But there are ways around that. Yeah, GoEco did do a post yesterday and there were a few people talking about flies and maggots, but our GoEco community are fantastic and most are using compost or worm farms. So managing it all at home, which is the best thing that you can do. But certainly there are a large number of people that we need to to check in on to find out why that's... uh, service is not um, of use to them or why they're not currently using it. I do want to talk about water quality in the time we have left. What progress has been made to improve the water quality in Lake Rotorua? Super busy part of the city, particularly summer nights. Um, Yes. So what's happening there? Oh look, we are working through the solutions. I I know that there was a groundswell of interest in in the lake, uh, and there were a number of meetings with staff. We do we have identified the issues that are leading to the water quality. Thankfully, this summer you'll have noticed if you've been going around it, we haven't had the algal blooms that we've had in previous summers, at least not yet, and hopefully we won't. Those come uh, in certain atmospheric conditions. And having had some heavy rain in between our hot sun, that's that's avoided that situation. Um, We are working through a plan and we are looking at how we can tackle the biggest issues, which is stormwater coming into the lake. Um, As you know, there's conversation about the large stormwater outlet that runs from the hospital catchment, not directly from the hospital, from the hospital and around. Um, How we could uh, make that a more natural and well-filtered stormwater outlet doesn't come cheap, doesn't come cheap. Uh, you know, there again, we can, we, we're talking about how we manage uh, the lake from the point of view of um, the faecal contaminants that come in from birds so, mm. and ducks and geese. I mean, you, and nobody, nobody doesn't want the, the lake to have 
ducks and pukeko and I and don't there. want as many. Um, I was actually shocked by the number of Canadian geese there the other night. I just didn't, hadn't seen them in the flock sizes um, that I noticed them the other night. So yeah. Um, yeah, I don't and, know if there are more, kind of, but... Yeah. They do do appear to be more, um, and they are quite funny characters. They waddle across the sea, uh, street at certain times of the day. How they don't get hit by cars, I don't <laughs> yeah, know. no idea. <laughs> so they seem to choose the corner just to do it. But um, look, there are more of them, and they are managed for number. But, and actually, sadly to say, you know, they're beautiful looking birds. They are a pest bird in, in New Zealand. They eat a lot of grass. Mm. Um, so the farmers dislike that because they can eat a powerful load of their lovely grass. Um, the ducks are lovely too. And, you know, we've all, over the last few months, been doing an eye on the baby ducks, which are the cutest. But we do need to keep those numbers under control because there is fecal contamination from birds. And that is the same for the pigeons that live in the Phoenix Palms, by the mm. way. And so we do, um, uh, and, you know, uh, people who love birds won't like like that, but we have to manage some numbers. Um, so we have to reduce some pests around the lake. Um, so do you have any idea we when we would see anything? Of course, always looking at how we um, work with the scientists over vegetation in the lake around um wetland type of filtration and other technologies to get to the final result. It won't be a quick fix and there are some there are some things in the lake that have been there for a very long time. Possibly even back when people were swimming, but they wouldn't necessarily have known around around the science then. But it's a, it is a natural lake and therefore it does have some natural levels of arsenic and other things that we would want to use science to manage. So it's a Low progress. Sorry, sorry, Kelly. Can't say we're going to do anything. Um, you know, tomorrow that will make a significant difference. But we have a plan uh, that's coming to council, and you know, there will be some actions taken step by step to see what we can do. Okay, um, and we'll, we'll keep tabs on that and hopefully you can keep us informed so we know, because we know that this is really important for our community as well. It's a space that we all enjoy with our families. Yes, um, absolutely. And so there would be community support yeah. for um, having some real action happen so we can see see some changes. I know these things yeah. take time, but we also like to see something happening or at least know that something is happening. So um, they'd be important. Absolutely. And look, we we also have to focus on our stretch of the river and um, I'm not sure who one will know, but I'm also the co-chair of the Waikato River Authority, uh, appointed by the minister to that role a while back. And their um, responsibility is making sure that the Waikato River is um, restored and enhanced. And so there are a number of projects that go on um, outside the city and within the city to, um, to improve that water quality so we can swim at Wellington Street Beach and, um, you know, uh, get on our um, various paddock, um, kayaks, paddle panels mm. that came out as paddocks when I went paddle boards. Um, you know, uh, jet boats down the river, uh, rowing, walker armour, all of that. You know, we do want people to be able to get into the water and on the water safely. Uh, and there again, and as I was saying, that you know, we, we the regional council worked on improving the water quality at Lake Taupo, and and that becomes critical because it, it needs to be clean from the source to the sea. Mm. We've just got two minutes left, but I do want to ask about 
big pieces of work that you've overseen in this triennium, which was the development of Hipunu, um, Hipu Manawa Order and the establishment of Māori wards. And I, I know big, uh, both are really big issues for you. Um, mm. Are you happy with where we are now? And do you feel as if you're, uh, all of the council is on board with you for that? Oh, no, they're definitely all on board. Um, our focus is in making, um, we've made the decision. We went through the process. We've made the decision. Um, we are wanting to help Māori lift their participation rates in voting. Um, we look forward to the two new people around the table and um, bringing them, uh, you know, bringing them up to speed with council's work, and and getting on and being a team, working together for mutual interest. Uh, that's 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 the future. Uh, we have our Māngai Māori as well, and they do a great mm-hmm. job. They're, they're different from the Māori seats because they're subject specialists. So, for example, the Māngai that sits on our finance uh, committee is an accountant and has a lot of experience there. So they're there to give a perspective that is quite specific. specific. And um, so, you know, we have at this point not talked about changing that in any way, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I'm never surprised about what pops up in terms of debate at council. So at the moment, the focus is on, is, and it's on the elections generally because it's election year, mm. and it's not, and it's not about the people who are going to stand at this point in time. That comes later. It's really about people understanding the process to vote and how important it is for them to follow what's happening, understand how to vote and to cast their vote. We always have such a low voting percentage. So, you know, the large, large parts of our, popu- our population are completely disengaged. Mm. We need to change that for the um, broader co- population as well as Māori. We're just, you know, I'd love to see a lot more young people voting as well, and that was something we worked on, as you know, la- quite hard last election uh, with some youth council, youth council, youth in council activities, trying to get senior school leaders and other schools such as Ruth Turner and Hillcrest and Fairfield and Girls High to, to really embrace the opportunity of participating in civics. Mm. And I hope um, our corridor today is helping to get people thinking about elections and the issues that matter to them and the areas that they will go to you um, to voice um, their aspirations for our city. You know, we, can, we hope that this episode can help to spark that and of course we'll continue on throughout this year uh, with the elections in October. Um, mm. Paula, thank you so much for joining us today and for having a kōrero about uh, um, the environment uh, that we live in here in Kirikiriro and the Wakato. So appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I had to, to uh, coming back from my short trip to Okuni for the holidays, had to turn my brain back on into Hamilton issues, and it's been great. Mm, yeah, well, you can count on us. <laughs> count on us for that one. Kia ora, Paula. Enjoy the rest of your day. That was Kitty Kitty Roa Hamilton Mayor Paula Southgate, elected to the Hamilton City Council in 2016, first as an East Ward councillor and then elected as Mayor in 2019. We've been having a corridor on some of the environmental issues here in Kitty Kitty Roa in the Wakato, uh, looking ahead to the election this year. Kete Fakarongo Mai Kwehi Puna Korero, a show hosted by Go Eco Wakato. Go Eco Wakato Environment Centre are a not for profit environment hub with biodiversity, kai, transport, and enterprise projects. You can find out more about our work on social media, Go Eco Wakato, by heading to our website, goeco.org.nz, or better yet, popping in to 188 Commerce Street, Frankton, in Kirikiriroa, Hamilton. 
Join us again next week for a new episode, but make sure you follow or subscribe to Hipuna Korero on your favourite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. Kia pai tōra e hoa Use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.